Located 35 miles north of Cincinnati along the banks of the Miami River sits the city of Middletown, Ohio. There in the late 1800s, Paul J. Sorg made a name for himself as a tobacco farmer and member of the U.S. House of Representatives for the state of Ohio. His gift to his beloved adopted town was a massive Sorg opera house and commercial building. A building, it said, he still haunts to this day. Hello and welcome everyone to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I'm your host Kat Cloco, along with me for the ride is Christina Wald and Jen Kohler in the shadows right now. As always, follow us on social media if you please. You can find us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and please send us your hometown haunts to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. We're waiting to hear from you. We're an official podcast that can be heard on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and SoundCloud. Find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities, and please rate and review us, and also ring that subscribe button. I think it's a bell icon usually. So other spooky and weird history lovers just like you can find us. The link in the show notes as always. Um, Let's see. Our next issue of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities is almost finished. Hurrah! And you can get a copy of your own this October during our Kickstarter. Also, ladies, it's our one year anniversary. Yay! Happy anniversary. Yay. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. We did it. We made it an entire year. This Yay. is a good podcast goal. I'm it's proud real, of us. Hard to believe it's been a year. I know. It's, it's been great. a rough year. So, Kat, <laughs> that's your, your and I's anniversary then, because that's when it, we first met. Yes, that is true. <laughs> Happy friend anniversary, Jen. Yay. It's it's kind of an unusual way to meet people too to start a podcast with someone. It's like it's it's sort of like Tinder for podcasts or something. Well, and especially during COVID, because yes, we didn't meet each other in person until what, like March, something around that. <laughs> April what was it? What was it first? Was it our doll cemetery? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That yeah. was April, which was has April. turned out to be a very popular podcast. That of is ours. our most popular podcast. Uh, understandably so although interesting it's most popular on like you aren't seeing the pictures that we took there and stuff it's like the audio is most popular so hopefully if you've really enjoyed that one do watch it because we have lots of footage of them (laughs) yes well that one was fun because we actually got out of the house and Mm -hmm. went on a field trip to indiana Mm -hmm. to uh look for these dollhouse headstones Mm-hmm. And we even ran into a lovely caretaker who originally <laughs> approached us to throw us out of the cemetery, but ended us giving a tour, ended up giving us a tour, which was fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yes. I and hope we get to do. Oh, go on. No, I was going to say probably the same thing you were. I hope we get to do more field trips for. This I was going to say that. Psych- <laughs> <laughs> what is it? No, no, actually, jinx. we're going on one. Yes. The 25th. On the 25th, we are going to go to a haunted place that I can't remember. Right we'll put it in the show. It's the, it's, it's a house, right? It's the, it's, yeah. The most, let me, let me pull it up. Yeah. Pull quick. it up. And um, Jen is making the super pouty face. 
she'll be on her own journey. She'll she'll be having a fun she journey. She look happy. <laughs> I want to go too. I'm going to do both. <laughs> I know life's full of unfortunate. You need to choices. learn how to astral astral project. Wouldn't Ooh. that be nice? Or have a clone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, saying stuff like that and actually having it happen is probably much more horrifying. Uh, you know, having well, a doppelganger. A, a, <gasps> that would be so fun. I did not say doppelganger. No, 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 no. No, not you that. said clone. You said clone. I said clone because I can't. Hopefully, I've always kind of thought like if clones were a thing, it would be kind of like a hive mind thing where you're all connected and you can like telepathically. Mm-hmm. communicate so you can all have the same experiences and the same knowledge like if one learns about astral projection you mm-hmm. everybody would learn it and- I, I, I always one of the best um things on cloning was in calvin and Hobbes when um calvin uh cloned himself so that he would have his clones do his chores and of course mm-hmm. what followed was none of them wanted to do the chores so right you know they all just wanted to have fun so I guess when you try to clone yourself it, mm. to do unpleasant tasks, your clones won't do them either. Careful what you wish for. Well, exactly. I always thought, okay, I thought about this when I can't sleep at night. So if I, I, I would want to clone for like one to where it would be like all my photography. Then another one would be the one that went to work. Another mm. one would be the one to learn whitewater rafting. And that was like their sole thing. Because there's so many things that I want to do and learn and like really deep dive into, but you just can't because you're one person and I'm old and there's just not enough time in the damn world. So then I don't do anything but sit <laughs> and watch TV. So I need clones, damn it. <laughs> I, I, that, that's, a, that's a persuasive argument. Because <laughs> I want all the knowledge. I want it. <laughs> you need like a situation like Groundhog Day. No. Well, that's what he did. Well, I don't want to live the same day over and over. But he became a really good pianist. Well, I guess that's true. But I, you don't want the same day over and over. I, How could I have you heard, share that knowledge? I have heard that if people really calculated it, like he spent something like a thousand years in that same day. Mm-hmm. And no, wow. I don't want the same day over and over. No. No. So I so I got calculated it. Okay, yes. Go. Yeah, I got the information while we 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 were Agent. talking about clones. So <laughs> we will be with our friends Spiritual Realm Paranormal on September 25th as they hunt the Butler County Historical Society's Benny Hoffman House. Hmm. So tickets are available. You can go find them at their website or their facebook which is the spiritual realm paranormal investigation so look for it there we'll be i know christina and i got the vip tickets mm-hmm. so we, we get to do everything we got the full bloody body experience this time jen mm-hmm. <laughs> i know and maybe we'll see jealous. your doppelganger because you will have been so jealous of us you'll astral project a part of yourself and you'll run into me in the bathroom if if you do see my doppelganger, don't tell me. <laughs> that I'll would take be really a photo weird. of it, and it will be shaky with my phone with a flash. <laughs> Jen, <laughs> we saw you there. The <laughs> we echo saw you were here. The you were echo in the of Jen. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah. tangent on the clone thing. Have you seen the show in the, the TV show in the movie Limitless? No. Where, okay, so it's Bradley Cooper. He's in the movie. He somehow ran, get, gets a pill and you take this pill and it make, allows you to use your brain at 100%. Mm-hmm. So you already can you like, use your brain at 100%. <laughs> Sorry. Don't, don't poke holes in, in the theory, cat. <laughs> But it allows you to be like really super like smart. So you can do all these things and figure it's an interesting movie. And then they made a TV show about it. And I want a pill to make me super smart. So, so that seems <laughs> like that, not, not to engage in spoilers, but it seems like something like that would have some pretty painful either side effects or fallout. Oh, yes. Yes. Of course it does. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I, it, yeah. flowers yeah. for Algernon comes to mind. Wasn't there a movie called Amy? Yeah, similar. Garjo mm-hmm. was in. That's similar to that too. Yes, and they all came out around the same time. And then there was another one, and I watched all of them like within a couple weeks of each other. But yes, she was a robot or something. Yeah, no. I thought she something exploded in her, and then she became like all knowing, and then she yes. could fight. And it started yes, getting me. But I think I have she... not watched this movie. Oh, this is I just know. what I remember is that from the, the trailer. movie with the person with the big eyes. Oh, that's funny. No, no, but it's funny how you, that's how you remember things visually. <laughs> Where I so, I um, always remember the actor's name, but never their character's battle, name. That the one with the CGI. I think that was Battle Angel. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Yeah, that that's based off of a manga series. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And that's actually a pretty decent not the the movie wasn't bad it it gave according to the manga nerds that i know it gave a pretty good synopsis of like the first few volumes it didn't go into a deep treatment but it was a good enjoyable movie so if you need if you have like a saturday night with nothing to do and a bowl of popcorn it's not bad to watch mm-hmm so um, I guess I guess we should talk about today's topic before we digress too much. I mean, we could talk about the new Matrix. Lucy, sorry, that was the. Oh yeah, you're right. It was Lucy, Lucy. not Amy. Uh, the, there's a yes, Lucy. Okay, that's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, because the, they just had a new Matrix trailer come out, and everybody's been. I talking haven't watched about it. it yet. Have you? Uh huh. No. Okay. I've watched it, it and a couple reactions to it. Okay. Does it look good? I haven't watched it because I kind of well, don't want it. You know, the thing with trailers is they all look good. I mean, that's their yeah. whole point. I mean, yeah. they they always look really interesting and stuff. And they probably, te- I, it might even be a disservice to movies because they, they're so good. And then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, you don't yes, get so Final they- Fantasy spirits with it. I'm looking at you. <laughs> you were or like, I saw you- everything I needed to see in the trailer. Mm. Right. Or you go and see the movie and then what you wanted to see that was in the trailer is not in the movie. Well, that's I'm true. Like, that's yeah. true. I mean, so you know, a lot <laughs> of times and, you know, in, in the defense, I guess, of the people that cut trailers, they're trying to get you to watch the movie oh, and, yeah. you know, they don't want the movie to look like a dumpster fire. You know, they want to make it look like something interesting. So you really don't know yeah. until you go in to see it, you know, how you feel about it. Um, see, but I go see movies either if it's something I know, like a book I've read, mm-hmm. or if there's an actor in it that I like. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, 
The moral of the story is to go see Shang-Chi and Battle of Ten Rings because it's a really good movie, I hear. Mm -hmm. But you said you don't want to go see it. Yeah. I'm not ready for theaters. I'm not. No, I'm not ready for theaters either. But can you watch it on? Can you stream it anywhere? No. Nope. They're Hollywood is sticking their feet in. Well, not- also, I think, and this is me absolutely not knowing anything, so. Same. Yeah. I think they don't want a repeat of what happened to Black Widow with ScarJo's contract and the PR mess that was. So mm-hmm. going in and renegotiating contracts for streaming probably was more work than Disney was willing to do. So that's why um, Shang-Chi yeah. is in theater still and not on streaming so you bet i will be watching it 10 times a day once it goes on to streaming and i'm buying the blu-rays and everyone's getting one for whatever holiday festival they celebrate (laughs) so anyway on to Mm. tonight's show moving on we digress but that's what we do this is our one year anniversary don't talk about pop culture (laughs) stuff too often so yes yes this is our indulgence isn't yeah. that the first like you have the paper anniversary the gold anniversary this is the pop culture anniversary pop culture anniversary yes yeah. so. so on our one year anniversary we are going to talk about are you winking at me jed no just making faces to entertain myself <laughs> okay <laughs> i just look over and there you are like <laughs> sorry like, i'm, a, oh, I'm a little tired <laughs> i didn't know you felt that way well, it is like um, one year anniversary. Let's snuggle and watch Ghost Brothers. Anyway, <laughs> um, all right. So for our one year anniversary, we are celebrating with a big topic, which is the famously haunted Sorg Opera House. Now we talked about this earlier with our friends, Spiritual Realm Paranormal, when we had Amy and Ashley on, because they have uh, hunt ghost hunted is not the right term. Paranormal investigated the location. So I thought we would uh, talk talk about this and also it is featured in our most recent uh comics anthology the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities issue two which will be kickstarting this october so yeah let's dig into this so ah, hmm. middletown is a bustling factory town on the banks of the miami river it is known for its paper mills now, but also has been known as a stop for shipping along the Miami River and, of course, bootlegging during Prohibition. The town was formed in 1833. The origin of the city's name is lost to time. The little town also shows up in fiction and nonfiction, talking about pop culture again, being the focus of J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, a memoir of family and culture in crisis, and also the fictional birthplace of Ready Player One's character, James Donovan Halliday, who created the Oasis featured in the book series. On a similar note, Paul J. Sorg, who was a very real person, was born in Wheeling, West Virginia, the youngest son of German immigrants, Henry and Elizabeth Sorg. He was he and his family moved to Cincinnati when he was a teenager, and he apprenticed as an iron molder and went to night school. During the Civil War, he fought in the Union Army, and around this time, he met John Auer, who was a German-born tobacco roller living in Cincinnati as well. Auer was a good was good with tobacco, with growing tobacco, and uh, Sorg was a really good businessman. So the two of them merged their strengths together and created their own company. Uh, 
Sorg and our created a company that manufactured tobacco and eventually merging with another tobacco company and moving to Middletown in 1869 with the new name Wilson Sorg and Company. Our and Sorg, however, soon sold their shares of the Wilson Sorg and Company and created a new one called the PJ Sorg Tobacco Company, which manufactured cut filler and plug tobacco. This company would become one of the largest of its type in the world, leading Sorg. <clears throat> leading Sorg to become Middletown's first multimillionaire. On July 20th, 1876, he married Middletown local Suzanne Jenny Groover, and Susan and Paul would have two children, Paul Arthur's, Arthur Sorg in 1878 and Ada Groover Sorg in 1882. He completed his 35-room Romanesque mansion for his family in 1888, which is also a famously haunted location in Middletown. In 1891, Sorg had the Sorg Opera House built in downtown Middletown, Ohio. The architect was Cincinnati-based Samuel Hannaford, the same man who designed the Cincinnati Music Hall, Cincinnati Observatory, the Hyde Park Elementary School, and Cincinnati City Hall, just to name a few. Like many large Midwestern opera houses, the Sorg had a long and complex use history. The Sorg Opera House, or what we'll just call the Sorg now, was opened on September 12, 1891 with the performance of The Little Tycoon, composed by Will Willard Spencer and with a speech by then-Ohio Governor James E. Campbell. The Sorg was grand and had a seating for 1,200 guests with an orchestra level and two balconies, the, mez the mezzanine and the upper balcony. I do want to note something here. And this is something that I've noticed with a lot of old opera houses throughout the Midwest that I have visited for different paranormal investigations. The seating for the Black guests were limited to the upper balcony. So this would be the area closest to the projectors now when you go into the Sorg Opera House. And it only had hard wooden benches to sit on and an entrance and exit were separate from those of the other <clears throat> white guests of the theater. This is something that doesn't get pointed out a lot, but I think it's worth a mention. The Midwest was not immune to Jim Crow laws and still altered the way the Black community members got to experience their life in the city. I mentioned this practice because it, I was honestly, I'm going to curse here, fucking gobsmacked to learn about this when I was working on my first book, Haunted Hoosier Halls, Indiana University. And I went to the Crump Theater, which is in Columbus, Indiana, and the docents there were like, oh, yes, and this is where our Black theater patrons would sit. And I'm like, why the fuck are they all the way up there? Why can't they just sit and see the theater like everyone else? The interesting thing about the Crump is that it also is haunted by a former Black theater goer, and he just sits up in the upper balcony in that particular old opera house. The, uh, the Sorg does not seem to have uh, a Black theater guest like that, but I wanted to mention that this is a part of history. It did get sort of rectified later in its life, but I wanted to add that as an interesting history fact. All right, back to old, old history. In 1901, the Sorg began showing early forms of motion pictures, such as photo plays and vaudeville performances before the operas. Many famous vaudeville performers have graced the stage of, at the Sorg, such as Marie Dressler, Will Rogers, Al Johnson, Bob Hope, and Sophie T Tucker. These live shows were discontinued in the late 
1920s in favor of the theater becoming a full-time movie theater in 1929. On January 17, 1931, a fire caused a massive, <laughs> a massive damage. Excuse me. On January 17, 1931, a fire caused massive damage to the backstage area of the theater, which caused a sorts closure for several months. In April of 1935, the Golden Theater Company took a long-term lease on the property and began repairs, reopening on September 22, 1935, with films and stage shows. A false ceiling was added in the 1940s, separating the upper balcony, which we just talked about, from the rest of the theater to improve the sound. The upper the upper balcony was no longer used, however, so it isn't like they put black theater goers up there and they couldn't see anything. They just didn't use that space anymore unless it was for storage. Ah, uh, the Sorg remained a movie theater until the 1970s when it was closed, like many small Main Street businesses, in favor for malls. Yay. Sad. So sad. Soon after its closure, the Friends of the Sorg was formed to reopen it as a live performance venue, and they were successful and ran the theater until 2010 when a water main break forced the Opera House to close again. In 2012, the Sorg Opera Revitalization Group, also known as Sorg, was formed and bought the, and reopened the building. Since Sorg purchased the, the Sorg, a number of improvements have been made, such as removing the partition of the upper balcony, so now you can visit there, and replacing the seats. They actually received the old music hall chairs in 2017, rehanging the house curtains, and uh, it still is a live arts venue where you can go see concerts and they still do stuff. Even through COVID, they managed to keep doing things. Uh, the Sorg reopened in late 2017 with a performance called Celebrate the Sorg and featured the Butler Philharmonic Orchestra. Of course, like many buildings, its age and with the history that it has, there are a few ghosts associated with the Sorg. The most notable of which is a guy you may have heard of, Paul J. Sorg. He is by far the most well-known ghost to haunt the halls of the old opera house. His favorite seat is on the mezzanine level, first row, second seat. He has been witnessed there countless times by both guests and those renovating the space. A woman in red has been witnessed in the dressing rooms backstage. She is rumored to be a former actress who visited the, during the vaudeville era. She disappears when approached, however, but has been seen there for decades. A shadowy ghost has also been seen ascending and descending the staircase from the backstage dressing rooms up to the actual backstage of the stage, because the dressing rooms are in a basement. Uh, another female ghost has been witnessed around the mezzanine level bathrooms. She has been reportedly not exactly a spirit you want to run into and is reportedly kind of grouchy and mean. And kind of harasses you when you're in the bathroom. So if you're a lady using those restrooms, prepare to be harassed by unseen spirit. Uh, she has also been witnessed by not only patrons of the property, but psychics who have visited the location. Oh, one that no one ever needs is a perverted male ghost who roams the entire building, both the commercial and the opera house, and has been known to stroke ladies' hair and make kissy noises on audio recordings. Jen is giving me the, ew, that is disgusting face. Uh, he's also heard walking around the buildings really late at night. 
Those are the most common ghost stories, but I can share my own if you're interested. So Jen surely is. All right. So I am going to have to supply Christina with the old photos of me. Because I look silly. Anyway, I lost where my place was. All right. So I actually did witness a ghost while I visited the Sorg back in 2013, and it's one that has never been mentioned by any paranormal group or any website, but I went face to face with her, and I do tell the story in the new copy of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities issue two, which will be kickstarting October 4th, and uh, you can grab a copy then, but I'm also going to retell you the story now as well, because it is an interesting short story. So as mentioned in that little quick history that I just read, the Sorg uh, Opera House has been revitalized by the Sorg Commission. And it was during this time, right after they had purchased it, they actually opened it up for volunteers from the community to come in and help just take out rotten wood, clean up the place it was especially the commercial buildings which still that i know of not all of it is used but the opera house is it's really large it's massive when you go down main street you cannot miss this and the front half of it this pointing towards the street is actually what's known as the commercial building because it was rented out to a variety of different businesses since 1891 so you have the ground floor which has large windows. And I believe they do have those cleaned up and rented now. And then you have floors two, three, and four. And the fourth floor is a really large ballroom. And if you're familiar with dances from these small towns during the early 20th century, this is where a lot of local balls would happen. Um, If you are familiar with the story of Resurrection Mary in Chicago, the character Mary was coming home from a ball from a local establishment similar to the sword. And it was common for young kids, the young folks to go to dance parties on Friday and Saturday nights or weddings, receptions, anything. Uh, My own hometown of South Bend has the Morris Performing Arts Center and you can have your wedding reception in the ballroom of that old opera house and orchestra uh, theater. So my job was when I went to go see where I was assigned was to clean up the fourth floor ballroom and it just needed to be swept, rotten wood needed to be taken off, wood paneling needed to be taken off of the windows so they could replace the windows. Um, Just they wanted to start painting it at some point, parts of the floor needed to be replaced, Um, just the tile and everything. We had to wear masks because since this was built in the 1800s, there was asbestos and you don't want to risk breathing that in. But I actually was invited to help by fellow paranormal investigator, David Jones. Now he's part of the North American Dogman Project and Project Paranormal Investigations. So it was he and I and a group of other investigators went to go help rebuild the SORG, basically. We were giving back to the community. Uh, the building is massive, as I said. and the doorway that went to the commercial building is actually different than the doorway you would use to go to the theater, though you can get to the theater from the commercial building. And it's also different than the black entrance, which is a fire escape 
on, I think, the west side of the building. That was both the uh, entrance and exit. So I go into the commercial building entrance, and this place is a maze. And I hang a left, and I am greeted with this gigantic stairwell. And it goes up all four floors and then has a skylight at the top. And I look at the staircase and standing halfway up the stairs is easily a older teen, young 20 something girl, lady, dressed head to toe flapper, like bobbed haircut, black hair, bangs. She had the beaded head headdress with a feather. And then she had a white sequined flapper dress with two rows of um, fringe, beaded fringe. The entire thing was beaded. What caught my eye was just the shimmering of all the beads from the light from the skylight. And mind you, this is like 10 in the morning. And I had driven a half an hour from Cincinnati to get there. So I was wide awake and quite within my capacities. Like I wasn't daydreaming this. She had sheer nylons on and then black buckled shoes that weren't really a kitty heel. So maybe two inches tall, very, very ready for dancing. They were scuffed too. And then she had an, a shawl on that looked really, this one was harder to kind of pin down because it was also kind of looking like it was evaporating at the same time. So it looked like it was kind of like a feathered out like shawl but also kind of steamy. So when I illustrated them, they're all kind of wispy and steamy because they all look like they were kind of evaporating. She took one look at me. I I swear we just locked eyes for a good 10 seconds. And then she just ran up the staircase. And as she ran, she just faded away. And I remember getting up to the ballroom and um, David was already there. And I just looked at him and I'm like, already saw a ghost and he had investigated the sorg already uh i think a year or two prior and he's just like oh yeah you're gonna run into them all the time they're everywhere (laughs) right now we're just kind of cleaning so i mean like no we couldn't do any audio recording because all you would hear was a sweeping and people coughing and stuff like that but the entire time i was there i had to put out of my mind that i was felt like i was being stared at and watched which was really freaky and uh, eventually, like, we got everything cleaned up. And, uh, yeah, that in the end of the night, and we left. But the store is an interesting place. And I would definitely go back to do an investigation. So questions, comments? Come back to me, ladies. Come back. And we have a hometown haunt actually at the end of this episode from someone who visited the Sorg without any preconceived notions. Oh, wonderful. She had never heard of it, there being any hauntings and knew nothing about it, was invited to go to a friend raiser that a friend was having. And we'll read that later. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I was interested to hear, you know, also, um, and I suppose it, we, no reason to conceal this, we're working on a Kickstarter video. Um, one thing I think is really interesting about your depiction about this is how clearly you saw um, this flapper. And is that usual? It seems like when people 
get an impression of something. And I'm thinking back to when Kevin described seeing the person reading the paper. Like when you take in people, usually like when you walk down the street and see people, you don't remember tiny details about them. And it's so interesting just how clear do you think that's part of their projection to you? Like, is there some of that where it's almost like a broadcast where they're trying to get you to see them? If that makes sense. I don't know how to answer that. So I know I take a lot of mental notes of how people look because I watched way too much Dateline when I was in high school. So Mm. I sit there and analyze everyone I'm around and just take details going in case this person goes off and kills somebody. I want to be able to report this person very easily and accurately. So I kind of also draw them in my head like a cartoon. So that's just me personally. Could they be projecting other people, like two other people, their full body apparition so that they know that they're sure that could be a possibility. So, but mine, mine is too much true crime. And that's why I just pay attention to everything. Is there ever a case where it's not a ghost, but an entity projecting like a glamour of some kind? That has been reported, especially um, doppelgangers can do that. That's one of the theories behind doppelgangers is that they're just projecting. You got an earthquake there, Jen? Nope, Um, I just kicked the table. (laughs) Sorry. It could be like a glamour of somebody that maybe why they're able to almost nearly perfectly emulate how somebody looks and walks. Um, I know people who are really into demonic possessions and demonic hauntings will very gladly say that yes that they're trying to pretend that they're a little girl at the end of a hallway and once in a while i have run into entities like the one that we ran into at the farm who will say one thing and then their vibes are giving off something completely different Mm -hmm. they're not reliable narrators yeah and that's also a thing to remember is that when you are talking to the dead they aren't reliable narrators People are the heroes of their own story. So they're going to be the victims of every single thing that happened, even if they perpetrate the stuff, which makes the perverted ghost so annoying to run into at the Sorg or any other location because Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I just think you're really pretty and I want to stroke your hair. And And you're dead and you have a limp dick and, you know, just (laughs) stop it. (laughs) Sorry, you may need to cut that. you know. (laughs) Ashley did say that she has run into ghosts having sex before. That's true. She did mention that story. It makes me think of that. That's with other dead people. Leave the living alone. It makes me think of that movie High Spirits. Yeah. (laughs) High Spirits. Did you ever see it? Nope. Oh, it starred starred Connie Booth. And uh, was it? It was like one of oh what's the uh, actor's name one of his last movie- tool yeah it was like one of his last movies but you watch it today and you're like this is a really rapey movie very was it daryl hannah and liam neeson and steve gutenberg yeah steve gutenberg okay. but he was still a yeah. thing you know he's yeah. kind of an odd choice in that i mean in the movie when you watch it at first you're like oh this is really good but then when you watch it again you're like wow the the, the story is about this isn't a spoiler uh is about a guy it's about a castle in scott is it scotland i can't remember if it's in scotland and uh uh uh, peter o'toole owns this castle 
but it's haunted by ghosts. And Daryl Hannah was murdered by her husband. And so they haunt this castle. And it's kind of, I don't want to go further into the story. The woman that was also in famous for the movie Vacation is in it. And I can't remember the actress's name. Beverly D'Angelo. And it basically becomes a quirky romance (laughs) because Beverly D'Angelo has an affair with Liam Neeson. And they basically tell Daryl Hannah's character that, oh, well, you know, you just weren't you know like like almost i don't don't want to say victim blaming for being murdered by her own husband but like i found i found the conceit of the movie somewhat surprising and probably doesn't it's not remembered well if you know what i've actually heard of this movie yeah i mean i I own a copy of it if you maybe we should have like a movie night or whatever yes but i would be more than happy to lend you my dvd but yeah but but it does have a leering ghost scene remember because beverly Uh d'angelo is she like in her bra or something and he's probably and in the haunt the port part of the haunting is he's chasing after daryl hannah and he turns and looks at beverly d'angelo is like wow you're really hot and then they end up getting together. It's a really weird movie. Yeah. You know, like the fact that Beverly D'Angelo's character is unfazed by the fact that this ghost husband of hers now murdered his wife. And then, <laughs> the, I mean, I don't want to say too much more because spoilers, but it was a movie that came out, was it the 80s? It came out. In the oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, very, it's a very 80s film, actually, thinking about it. Yeah. Thinking about movies like Pr- Pretty Woman and stuff like that. Of course, it's no problem that. <laughs> Pretty Woman was in the early 90s goofball. Oh, okay, okay. But so, still not very woman friendly. See this face? Yes. This that's is a the... face of disapproval. <laughs> so movie should I, be disapproved of. I have thoughts about this. Even like watching movies from like the early 2000s, and even like five or six years ago, maybe 10 years ago, let's just say 10 years ago, the whole like the Me Too movement really brought a lot of things to light, mm-hmm. even for like women to oh i didn't realize that was a a harassment situation i was in back in you know when i was in college or whatever Mm -hmm. so and i think the way women were treated as comic foibles or what was funny like constant rape jokes Mm -hmm. how women are less than and when i watch old movies i have that lens now and i'm like damn it I know, I know. know. I'm like, you didn't know any better, but God, it's in everything. I know. I, I, I enjoyed that movie when I first saw it. And now watching yeah. it again, I'm like, ouch, this really, oh my gosh. I mean, I can't yeah. believe that this is like in a script. <laughs> well, yeah. and this week I've been rewatching West Wing, mm-hmm. the West Wing, which has, is a fantastic TV show, but it's even in that. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's just moral of story. We should all watch reruns of murder. She wrote anyway. Exactly. See, <laughs> that is that's untainted. on my list. I want to, I want to rewatch. And, and there's a wonderful uh, YouTube channel that w- rewatches them for you. And yes, and, pushing up roses. Yes. It's, it's one of my favorite, uh, would you call it YouTube shows? Actually, it's not a podcast, but she's very good. But uh, Angela, Langsbury, good Angela Langsbury is one of my heroes. Oh, yes. I love her. So again, we got sidetracked. Yeah, any we may want to save that one for the Patreon. Anyway, any questions about 
the sword yes i mean it seems like i know it seems like the langerford buildings seem to be fraught with the well it's yeah with with these things because it's a person that built music hall right it was langerford hannaford hannaford sorry what did i say Lang- hannaford um hannaford designed this building it seems like a lot of them are fraught with these sorts of things um yeah maybe it's the materials he used i don't know i mean was i mean at least music hall had you know a lot of burial grounds and stuff did the sorg have similar not that i've ever found um it, it was on main street but usually you didn't have your cemeteries on main street mm-hmm. because they're cemeteries and it wasn't popular to put them on your main drag of your town um i mean Middletown has always been pretty bustling since even the early 1800s mm-hmm. and it's very much a mill town. So I don't, I don't think they moved anything. It probably was just old homes or maybe a super, not a supermarket, but your market or small businesses before. That's mm-hmm. a really good question for the historical society there, actually. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe we'll get somebody to chime in, mm-hmm. but that's not something I've ever found documentation on i would love to visit it i don't think i've ever seen it you know it is remarkable either they've done a lot of very good work restoring the place Mm -hmm. um a fun little fact is it is rumored that there are tunnels between the sorg opera house and the sorg mansion oh interesting the mansion is being refurbished now by a private couple it used to be apartments and back easily a decade ago a few paranormal investigators were getting reports from the people that lived in those apartments that even the house was very haunted is it also a hannaford um i want to say yes i thought it was the same architect i mean he's got a very uh noticeable style so yes this this makes me want to go up and drive and see it yeah it's a heavy romanesque style Mm. 35 rooms it's huge um, I do remember one of the urban legends I heard was that Sorg had built this massive mansion and then quickly after his wife had died, but that turned out to not be true. She lived rather long into the 20th century as well as both their kids. Mm-hmm. So uh, they may be the urban legend, maybe it, I'm going to say cross contamination with like Lemp Mansion or a, mm. some other or felt mansion there's a few large barren mansions that are in cities what was the biggest challenge in uh adapting this story besides all the architectural heavy drawing oh my um actually finding an entertaining way to show the reader the history of the ghosts and hauntings so my original this one went through several drafts that i had people proofread and they were bored out of their skull also i had a limited amount of pages i think mine is only five pages long it's one of the shorter stories uh kevin's is the other short one and just trying to give a good drive by these are the ghosts that are featured in the sorg a highlight reel that was what was tricky I think I did a pretty good job because instead of just being me walking around and telling you the viewer or reader, instead I have the ghosts telling their stuff themselves and showing you. And I think that made it a much more interesting story. I also wanted to make it uplifting to the people who have put a lot of work into 
restoring the Sorg and basically kind of speak through Paul Sorg, have him thank them for their work within mm-hmm. the story. And that's how it ends, really, is he has a small little monologue that says, thank you for all your work. Make this place glow again. And uh, it's very sweet. So mm-hmm. it's, it's I really want a huge visit horror it. story. It's very, yeah. it's a nice place to visit. And uh, maybe someday we'll be able to do some kind of event there. Did we they definitely do an urban sketching event there? Mm-hmm. Did they do anything with like their, their ghost stories? Do they do any like, like what we went to? My brain has just shut down. Um, well, like Music Hall does. Yeah, Music Hall does ghost tours every year. So, um, thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure if they are doing that. COVID has really messed up a lot of plans. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, I've never investigated it. We know that Ashley and Amanda have the other people that I know who have are David Jones and his group, and also Paravisions. And Paravisions has a video on Vimo that's still up that they produced, and that is the team going through and doing. Um, a very i'm going to say it's very quick because it's only an hour long so they edited a lot out i am sure but it gives a good idea of what the sorg's uh, layout is it gives a good visual of what the commercial building looks like which you don't usually see with the promotional photos because most of the commercial building is not being used at the moment because it's still being uh, uh revitalized so uh, that that's a pretty good short documentary to watch if you want um but not a lot of people have gone in i know the new owners which would be sorg um the sorg opera house revitalization group i don't think they really do so many ghost hunts or paranormal investigations there because mm-hmm. it's still under construction it's kind of dangerous yeah. to go through parts mm-hmm. of it yeah. So, um, what technique did you do the art in? Is it all digital or? Yeah, that one's and I, all that's digital. a rude question. I apologize putting it that way because, because really, it doesn't matter what tools you did. I'm just more kind of interested in the in the process. Um, you know, I mean, I a lot of time my my comic for the for the cabinet of curiosities is also going to be all digital, and the only reason I did it, I don't think it looks really any different than if I inked it by hand. Um, it just is for expediency. That being said, I'm still late, but yeah, it, so it's a legit question because a lot of aspiring comic artists want to know how people are creating stuff. I know it was something that I always was into when I was getting the hang of illustrating. So mine is completely done digitally via Clip Studio Paint and on my gigantic Cintiq and Um, I actually used a lot of my own photo references when I was there, because as you mentioned earlier in a different question, there are a lot of heavy photo, like illustrations of the Sorg. And I know my weak spot is landscapes and architecture. And so I would just take the photos that I took back in 2013 and just basically trace over them and that was to be speedy as well so i'm not sitting there trying to get all the perspective right so uh, but yeah clip studio paint and i am a big fan of their in-house uh g nib brush mm-hmm. <laughs> just to get a little bit technical um i think it has a really good flow whenever you 
make a stroke with the pen. And there's a bunch of custom content that you can use. A lot of the balloons that I use for the word balloons are custom content that you can buy from the Clip Studio store and uh, a lot of the tones as well. But other than that, it's all hand-drawn digitally, if that makes sense. It's hand-drawn. I consider it hand-drawn. You're still using mm-hmm. a pen. I mean, I use. Mm-hmm. I also use a big Cintiq and um, I don't, I like Clip, but I don't use it since they have the kyle webster brushes now i pretty much just live in photoshop mostly because i'm doing so much stuff like that goes from photoshop to after effects or from illustrator Mm -hmm. and so i use those three programs so much that um i don't use clip that much anymore even though i bought the most recent version of it um and but it does have some really nice structured drawing tools that i like um i like it a lot if you are building um graphic novels or even short form comics it's super easy to put together your strips for short form or your pages for long Mm -hmm. form i use the ex version which is Mm -hmm. i am pretty sure i don't want to open it because it will take a lot of but it's like the extended version the more the more yeah it's it's the one that where you can Mm -hmm. do animations and everything in the Mm -hmm. in the 3d modeling and um i like that because you can export for EPUB. So you can put all your pages together and make a gigantic PDF without having to put it through a bunch of other programs to put your TIFFs into PDF format, mm-hmm. which is very helpful. And I'm actually doing that right now for uh, Miss Gray, which mm-hmm. is the uh, very, very late free comic book day comic that I will have out by uh, Cartoon Crossroads Columbus, which is at the end of this month. So September thirtieth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and and I get to do all the fonts too. Also, it, you can do it all in Clip Studio too. So, and if you do it on an iPad, it will <laughs> it will correct all your misspellings. <laughs> That's always handy. It's well, very I handy. Have well, a always... question about oh, fonts. Like, mm-hmm. are they copyright? Yes, some of them are. So when you create digitally you have to use some sort of font mm-hmm. unless you create your own right so how do mm-hmm. you do you well, either most, purchase no. one or most I packages buy. yeah you buy them um most yeah. packages come with fonts like adobe has a huge amount of fonts that you're able to use but where it really becomes an issue is and i remember a couple of years ago i think it was nbc one of the big uh three networks actually had to pay a ton of money because they had not licensed their fonts properly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's when you start mm-hmm. getting into mass production of stuff that you really have to keep an eye on the fonts. Um, you know, all the fonts I have, I pretty much have bought. Um, uh, there's a lot of, for comic book artists, Lambot has a lot of great fonts that you can buy. And you notice like, like it's cheaper if you're like an indie artist, but if you are like Marvel and DC or one of the big companies, you pay more for your fonts because they are cre- technically artwork created by another artist and um for those that follow twitter twitter just did an entire font change and just developed their own font so they wouldn't have to pay font royalties yeah Hmm. so i use blambot as christina mentioned they have a bunch of different tiers and you can pay different license fees for different ones so some of them are free you can go there as long as you are making a free comic and it's not for mass commercial use it could Mm -hmm. be free um and then they it goes up from there so some of um like 
Actually, the logo font for Witches and Sorcerers is a Blam Bomb font that I have paid the logo copyright licenses for so that I can use it without repercussions later. And it's and the that's same. I good forever and ever and ever. You just pay for it once? As far as I know, I paid for it once and I can use it until I feel like using a different font. Mm-hmm. Um, for my comics, I use the Euro font, which is also found on Blambot. And I believe I also paid for that. And also, for those who want to know a great deal, on New Year's Day, every year, Blambot puts all their fonts for sale and the price is the year. So for 2000, mm-hmm. 2020, everything was $20.20. Nice. And then 2021, $20.21. Oh, yeah, yeah. you oh occasionally gosh, hear. That's amazing. There was, um, and I can't remember the name of the animated film um, that had won all these awards. And one of the things that kept it from being uh, generally released and streamed was that when they had it on the festival circuit, they paid one fee for the music that was used in it. And they had to settle it up before it was in wide release mm-hmm. because the, the, they had to pay more money to the, and as, as they should be, I mean, you know, you should get paid, you know, additional when something goes, uh, you know, and makes that, I, I don't know how much money an animated film, but if it's being released like at AMC theaters, you know, the people that are involved that did the music should be compensated more. Um, you know there are yeah. many people that probably feel that and there's been a lot of articles lately uh you know dipping back into the comics thing um saying how little comic book artists that work for and writers that work for you know marvel and dc how little they're mm-hmm. compensated considering how much these companies make in revenue you know uh for the billions i've heard the, that they heard make. the same for costumers they yeah. make the costumes yeah. yeah 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 a lot of the creatives don't get paid enough it yeah. was interesting or even credit sometimes mm-hmm. yeah. they don't get credit yeah well, the co-creator like, think about of kirby kirby mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. lee with the early marvel movies and it was stanley 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 because he was producing he was a mm-hmm. producer at least mm-hmm. and then people are like what about jack kirby or ditko or any of these other people that partnered and yeah. created these so now i can't remember which one well which batman one the co-creator oh the suicide squad oh if you interesting look at the credits for the new suicide squad not the mm-hmm. sucky one that came out a few years ago <laughs> um that's not a hot take that's a generally accepted thing um they they have a huge creator think and it's every single creator of all the different characters um oh wow and it gets really into quite detailed that thinking all the different creators of because they used so many characters in that movie. They did. They really yeah. did. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's I think that it's a good discussion because you have people living off of the creative talents of these people and making a ton of money. And you know, these f- families are in poverty sometimes. Um, you know, yeah. speaking of the co-creator of Batman, who's finally getting his name on everything. Um, you know, because they used to only put Gil Kane's name on, and now mm-hmm. uh, what's his first name? It's last name Finger, and I'll look it up really quick. No, but anyway, uh, I was at a book festival in um, Indiana. It wasn't a book festival; it was like a literary literary kind of weekend that they had at this university. They invited me. One of the other speakers had was credited for getting Finger's name on 
all the all the intellectual property and he's he invented the joker and wrote a lot of the early stories uh when batman first came out and he died in relative poverty Mm -hmm. but now i think his granddaughter um i'm I'll, i'll put a link so that people can get the correct facts since i'm just talking off the top of my head i think that she's finally getting some money from the franchise you know uh, which is which is good but obviously and warner brothers yeah but obviously you know uh the guy i think i want to say he died in the 70s or it was a long time ago that he passed away but mm-hmm. um you know it's and it, it, it was very typical that people that came up with this sort of thing i mean you hear of them throwing away comics that people drew like the original art they just used to throw it in dumpsters and well the bbc erased a lot of the original true Doctor true Who. Yeah, I would love yeah. to see some of the old comedy shows that uh, Peter Cook did with Dudley Moore. Those were all erased. Yeah. Well, it's easier to just get rid of it than having to pay to upkeep it or yeah, to keep it. Because eventually you need to, a mm-hmm. huge building to store things. I rem- mm-hmm. When uh, the Enquirer closed their press, uh, my friend Jeff, Jeff Cease and I uh, went over to went over to um the press to grab all the negatives that really? they had stored there because they oh, ran wow. out of room in the in the library and they still don't have room for them and i know one year they didn't have anywhere to keep them and mm-hmm. they're like nobody cares i'm like but people they do, do. Care. i mean warehousing is is a huge issue and and keeping track of stuff like that i mean you know yeah that has always been a big part of quote history too is is who Mm -hmm. archives i mean that's one reason western history is taught the way it is is because for a long time one of the biggest archivists of history was the church and they Mm -hmm. loved greek and roman history so we have Mm -hmm. you know piles and piles of greek and roman history but they weren't so interested in some of the other you know uh early tribes in europe and stuff so you don't really know so much about them um, or anything that yeah. makes them look I'm bad looking <laughs> at the mayan calendar exactly and the codex that were all burnt so now we can't really transcri- transcribe them too well exactly you know? exactly like you know if if somebody doesn't save this stuff it can be lost to history so easily well mm-hmm. i tried when mm-hmm. i was in the newsroom i scanned i don't know how many thousands of photos Mm-hmm. and great, it man. it didn't even put a dent in it but i know at least the stuff that i did they have been able to use readily mm-hmm. for content and it's just cool mm-hmm. you know it, i mean you get burned out scanning individual photos one by one eventually but yeah mm-hmm. i really wish i could have had more time just to sit and go through well you think oh, yeah, about it it's almost like a you know it's your collective memory that you're losing yeah mm-hmm. yeah and well yeah i mean some of it is pretty boring <laughs> i mean it, there's a lot of headshots of people um but things like king's our king's island folder was pretty cool i, I know i've mentioned the suicide folder before um i don't know it's just kind of kind of neat I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess I could. I could. I mean, I still work there. I could go in there and just sit in the library and go through things. But I'm sure there is um, so much stuff just about different historical uh, things that have happened that, you know, you think mm-hmm. about how many photos you only keep like two or three of, but sometimes it might be useful to look at old oh, pictures. We have every... I would love to see old photos of the Sorg. 
Yes. You Especially know what? It's I'll, opening day. I will see if we can't find anything. If I oh, can't find awesome. anything. Yeah. Um, also, we have pretty much every single flipping photo of Pete Rose we ever took. <laughs> okay, so so I'm not. I wouldn't be Sorry. so sad if they lost a couple of those negatives, but I got so many. There are so many, many and I've scanned in a ton. Should we talk about the hometown hunt. Yes, yes I I'm think sorry. We should. We should. We, <laughs> this has been. This our... is the tangents of the episode. Yes, That's yes. What this well, is. Yeah, this is our anniversary episode, so we're yeah. kind of you know chatting, and and we haven't. This is like one of our first episodes without a guest that we've done in a while. Too, in a so. while, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're just kind of catching up. So, so how many other ghosts did you see while you were at the Sorg? So it was only the one, but okay. I felt the presence of quite a few okay so that's why i'm really interested in being able to go again to yeah see i would love who, to go to see who i can meet basically yeah. and what information we can glean i think it would be fun to meet paul sorg um mm. and uh and he dresses up to the nines he's in his three-piece suit with the pushed up collar and everything and his big old mustache mm-hmm. so he just doesn't want to let go of his earthly He's very uh, proud of it. I won't say let yeah. go because he let he and his son let go of it in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's very proud of basically the legacy he built is mm-hmm. the impression that I got. He worked really hard. He was the son of immigrants, moved across the country and built up basically from zero from scratch right after the Civil War. This huge... I'm not a fan of tobacco, but it's a popular product, especially then. And uh, um, he built up this mass fortune from it. And he mm-hmm. tried to give back to his community, which how many multimillionaires can you say actually tried to do that in their hometowns? Well, I feel like I've lived so close to Middletown for most of my life in Dayton and in Cincinnati. And I cannot even ever remember going there for anything. I don't think I've ever been there. I guess either. it is called Middletown, and that's sort of like uh, explains it all. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's Middletown. Yeah, um, no, it, it's between Hamilton. It's it's a town between towns. It is, but um, it's an interesting. It has an interesting history, especially Hamilton and Middletown's prohibition history, which has largely been hidden because mm-hmm. it hasn't been quite. No one wants to really support the fact that heavy drinking and prostitution happened but that's really the entire cincinnati area that's what we're kind of known for we're we're known for pork and booze and (laughs) we really have to just accept that's just like a reese's peanut butter cup two tastes that taste good together bacon and booze bourbon and bacon it goes well really well together well and not to mention newport was the um test run for vegas yeah yes and the mob And, oh. and this next stop was Hamilton. You're welcome, Vegas. <laughs> the Purple Gang. You got John mm-hmm. Dillinger. They were hot down here. And then mm-hmm. not too far away, we have the questionably named French Lick Indiana. So <laughs> we got a lot of stuff going down here that we could run. We can give Chicago a good run for its money with our gangsters down here. We were just, this is where all they would vacation when they were too hot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah. so to the hometown haunt, um, yeah. should I go ahead and read it? Um, sure. A friend of mine sent me this when we were talking about the Sorg. Um, I think you were talking about doing your comic on it and how you'd been there. And so she sent me this experience that she had. 
And the interesting thing about it, well, let me read it and then we can talk about it. Um, she says, I went to a friend's fundraiser a number of years ago for a group that was raising monies to continue restoration work for the Sorg. The fundraising event had outdoor music, food trucks, and was offering limited tours of the Sorg. Anyway, we went into the Sorg to hear my friend do a presentation. I didn't make it more than 20 feet in before I started feeling like I was going to faint, freak out if I stayed inside. It was like I was, it was like I had hit an invisible wall. I started getting real dizzy and had a bad feeling about the place. I essentially ran out and stayed outside. I had never heard of the Sorg before and had no preconceived ideas. I had only gotten that type of feeling a few other times, including at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. You know, this reminds me of the feeling you said you felt when we were in that barn where she said um, she had a bad feeling about the place and felt like she hit an invisible wall. Uh, elaborate on that, Kat, on what she was probably feeling. Um, well, I, I don't know if she is a medium is basically who would pick up on those kinds of things psychics would pick she up probably on, like, didn't think that she was but maybe she's sensitive and a lot of people it. could have been just random just empathetic to not to sound too woohoo here but the vibes that were being given off by the dead um so what happens a lot of times if you just accidentally run into a hot spot and you're sensitive to the vibes being given off is that um, you will kind of get overpowered and or overwhelmed, kind of like overwhelmed by the vapors. And you just kind of need to leave because your, your senses just kind of go into overdrive and it starts panicking and you, you just flee. And uh, I think that maybe from what she, she's describing is what happened. Um, And I know if you, there's people who can, sorry, I know you can take basically lessons from other psychic mediums on how to control that reaction. So that's why myself and Ashley are able to walk into these places and we feel it and we feel nauseous. That's when a lot of mediums or psychics will feel nauseous when they're around something with a lot of activity. I ran into a similar situation actually at Mansfield Reformatory with my friend Heather uh, the first time we ever visited, we went to, we tried to walk into the toilet room. It mm. sounds like a strange name, but the toilet room is just a storage room for a whole bunch of porcelain toilets that are <laughs> not being used. And I think it's in the former, oh man, I wrote a book about this. I should remember which room this was. I believe it was the former um, libraries on the second floor. It would have been the hospital, I think, uh, but now it's the toilet room and we walk in, we try to walk in and we immediately got overwhelmed by basically spirit activity. And the two of us just turned around and we're like, we'll visit you later. Bye bye. And that I know exactly how your friend felt because I run into that. Um, and that's what experience it helps with that, basically. Have you ever walked out of some place just because it was too intense? Well, Mansfield Reformatory, but we eventually came back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, but I didn't know if that happened a lot or it. Not really, because um, I eventually realized that it's just a sense of 
there's a lot of activity. And when you do run into it, that means you're going to start getting activity on your investigation. So generally as an investigator, that's what you want to be running into because that's easier to collect data on. Because then you can be like, okay, this feels really oppressive. I am getting nauseous. And with whatever team I'm working on with, I go, okay, I'm feeling nauseous. Now to time, it's time to put down the REM pods. It's time to put down the Gaussian meter. It's time to put down your audio recording equipment so that we may get a peak in activity in this particular area. So as an investigator, it's a good thing. If you're just the average Joe and you're walking through and you suddenly feel nauseous and overwhelmed, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Well, it yeah. seems like, um, you know, when you hear it described as the sixth sense, it, it almost seems analogous to when you walk into a room that has really strong smells. Mm-hmm. That's like, exactly what it is. You know, where it might not even be bad smells, but it's overwhelming your senses. And so it's almost like whatever this sensory organ is, is overwhelmed by whatever it's taking in. Yeah. Like your psychic eye. Was it the third eye? There's a lot of ways to interpret it, but yeah, you just, your senses feel overwhelmed, especially mm-hmm. your flight or uh, fight sense. And most people will fly away. They will flee, mm-hmm. but that's a good story. And uh, yeah, definitely that part of the mezzanine, it was it the mezzanine floor. Um, I think, no, she was on the orchestra floor. If she had been one level up, I believe that actually would have been the haunted bathroom, mm-hmm. which is definitely what people have felt using that area, like walking around those stairs. Uh, where she describes where she's at is the end of the checkered hallway, which is the main hallway into the orchestra level. And it kind of has a little bit of a funhouse effect because there's really high ceilings and it has a checkerboard marble floor. Mm-hmm. And then it has really it's really tight and I can, I always feel slightly claustrophobic walking down it. Or I remember Mm -hmm. feeling slightly claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. Just talked like I've been there multiple times. I felt claustrophobic while walking down it. And then you walk into this massive orchestra level with the balcony, the mezzanine balconies right over your head. And then it's just a sea of chairs. And at the very end is the stage. And of course, the stage to its left has the ghost light on, and that's always on when the stage is not in use. And uh, it's just a spooky little lamp that theaters will put on. Uh, I can't wait to it, see it in person. Yeah, it's they've it done a lot really of remarkable work. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's I hope we can do something there someday mm-hmm. and yeah. investigate all of the building, not just the. Um, in the auditorium but also the commercial building because there's a lot of life in that commercial building that's where you mm-hmm. had dentist's office and doctor's offices and lawyers and other businessmen mm-hmm. um i know in hamilton a similar building had the music teacher had a, a studio there and kids could take music lessons there oh so. interesting mm-hmm. yeah well on yeah. that note i think we can end the episode yeah, yeah. so everyone as i scroll up here really quickly Everyone, thank you for joining us for another wonderful one-year anniversary episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Presents, the Hometown Haunts podcast. After a year, you would think I'd get that right. You can follow us at Curio on Twitter, at Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and of course, we love to hear your hometown haunted 
mail and you can email that to us at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com i'm cat clogo for christina and jen good night and stay weird